when I first started in this industry, I was really worried that not being a qualified solicitor uh, was going to be a disadvantage. But what I have found is that it has led me more and more to have to ask why we're doing something because I do come from a different, you know, educational background. So it's actually turned out to be a huge benefit to me because a lot of the recipients of, of legal advice, the, the benefit um, of these end processes, they're not always lawyers. And so being someone who manages the process or the project, you know, that has kind of the lens to say, does this make sense to a non-legal trained person is, is really helpful. And it's, it's enabled me to, to feel comfortable asking why at every step and, and just get to learn. So. Hi, I'm Tessa Manuelo, founder of Lego Creates, the school for the transformation of Lego services. And you're listening to the Lego Creates podcast, where we'll be bringing you the greatest and the most inspirational concepts and projects and discuss some of the most powerful ideas for the transformation of the Lego industry. Everybody and welcome to the podcast. Here's another episode with an incredible guest. She's actually tuning in right now from the USA, but she's mostly based in London, the UK, after having traveled the world. And she's going to say a little bit more about that, but mostly a little bit about the work she does at the intersection of innovation, legal ops, legal project management, and also data protection. Her name is Hannah Gentry, and I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today, Hannah. Thank you, Tessa. I'm really excited to be here. It's it's great to chat with you because I really admire what Legal Creatives does and kind of, you know, the education that you're trying to further for legal professionals. So it's really great to chat with you. Well, thank you so much for the good words and for accepting the invitation to share about what you do and to share about legal ops and legal project management. I think this is the first time we're going to dive so deep into legal ops. So I'm very excited about that. But before we dive more, would you like to tell us a little bit about you, what you do and who you help and uh, what is you, uh, I think you, you run your own consultancy, right? So uh, what are some of the things you do and the clients you help? Absolutely. So I'm actually not a, a qualified lawyer, so a, a bit of a rare breed. I think a lot of legal ops professionals maybe have qualified as solicitors, done that for a few years, and then moved into the space. Not all, of course, but um, I trained originally as a journalist, and I did that for many years in the U.S. before eventually transitioning into project management in other industries. I think for me, project management and operations were a very natural fit for my skill set. I tend to be, you know, quite an organized person. I really like kind of managing things, keeping them very tidy, keeping things structured to time, to budget and all that. So uh, when I got my first job in project management, it, it went very well and things just kind of progressed from there. When I moved to London, um, I got my first role in the legal sector. And initially I was working for a scale up as someone who helped their clients uh, find lawyers that were appropriate for the like placement positions that they had. So almost a bit like recruitment. But I think what my employer noticed at that time is that although I did well to kind of bridge the, the connections and do the networking and place people um, for the company, for my employer, I was 
creating a great process and um, was able to scale that process and the operations around it really efficiently. And so that's where I expanded more into the ops side of things and ended up becoming head of legal operations at that particular company. And it's just kind of grown from there. Um, I then moved into the innovation space, if you will, at a law firm. I think I've learned that Innovation in the legal space is maybe a bit of a catch-all phrase. I've noticed that different uh, people, different companies interpret the term differently. I, I mean, for all of us, it's, it's just innovation. It's doing things in a new way and a different way. And I think that's what I love about legal ops is it's looking to improve on our legal processes. How can we make these legal processes a bit different, better, and optimize them to really you know, help the in-house legal team or help the end client? So for me, all these things are very much intertwined. There's elements of project management in you know, optimizing your processes. There's elements of process in managing a project, they're all somewhat linked. Um, and I think you said as well, who, who do I help? Yeah, um, that would be great to know as well. Please share sure. with us. I love that intro. <laughs> Good. Sorry, that was a lot. Um, I think when I was in-house, um, so at the scale-up, for example, a lot of my clients were uh, like unicorns, fintechs, scale-ups in Europe, so, so larger in-house legal teams. Um, now uh, operating my own consultancy, I'm really focusing on startups and scale-ups. I have done work for larger enterprise clients and law firms, but for me, I, I personally really enjoy focusing on companies that are growing at, uh, because the, the process side of things is so linked to that growth, right? So if you can help companies that are experiencing a great deal of growth, set up processes that are scalable and are compliant with you know, data protection laws, you're making them a lot more you know, future-proof, if you will. And a lot of those smaller organizations don't have an in-house legal team, or they might have a sole GC or head of legal. And so those are the companies that really feel the value from my services because they need the help. They, they don't have the manpower oftentimes. So they really benefit from being able to do things in a, in a better managed or more efficient way. Yeah, I love that. This is so helpful to know who you help because, well, it's great to know, you know, if there's anyone listening to the podcast wanting to connect, and it makes it so much easier as well to make those connections. And since you're a specialist in legal ops and legal project management, you've talked so much about like processes, projects, streamlining, uh, all of those uh, sort of fancy almost words because we hear them so many times. But if we go back to the very practical things, uh, what does all of that actually mean in practice for a legal department or even you know, like a solo GC who would like to start implementing some of uh, those principles? Uh, so I would love to dive a little deeper into the practicality of things. And let's start with some of the key drivers that we would need to look at whenever we want to do legal project management, Hannah. What are some of the tips, advice? And to be honest, I'm not super knowledgeable in the field. So I, I'm really interested to learn as well and to know more. 
Sure. So for me, I, I mean, there's always a benefit to having a project manager who's familiar with the legal space, but I think for any project management in any industry, the, the principles and, and the key drivers are really about understanding the why. Why are you trying to accomplish this, this particular end goal that the project is seeking to, to, to carry out? Um, understanding that kind of shared objective and making sure every stakeholder involved in the project not only understands that objective, but how it relates to their part in the project. I think that's really key. And with legal, especially, it's, it's about understanding the subject matter. So for me, not being a lawyer myself, I, I'm always you know very certain that I get a subject matter ex expert to look over the scope of work for the project, to make sure that any any areas I've kind of anticipated could be a bit difficult or go wrong are, are correct. I've kind of considered the, the, the legal ramifications, if you will, of, of what we're trying to do and how to go about it. But I think project management in general is just about getting everyone on the same page with what is the objective, why is it important, and that makes things a lot easier. And then on, on the kind of tail end of the project, whatever that deliverable is or that end result of the project is, you want to ensure that it that its format, and this relates a lot to what you do with legal creatives, is ensuring that end result is appropriate for, for the audience or the customer. So I do a, a lot of data protection work, as you said, and if you give someone kind of a, a data protection audit report, but you're giving it to a company that maybe doesn't have a, a legal team member, you want to ensure it's in a format, in a language that's actionable for them and understandable. And I think this is a really common thread in legal at the moment is, is making things more accessible to non-legal team members. So I think those are, in, in my opinion, kind of the, the key principles to get started. And then you have your project management pillars, which are, you know, making sure that things are staying on time and to budget and that you have kind of a shared point of, of truth for the, the status of a project and things like that. Yeah, that's, that's really, uh, really helpful, uh, Anna, for you to kind of give us a little bit of the macro picture of uh, what legal project management is, project management first and legal as well. And how about legal ops? Uh, legal operations is uh, really booming right now in all parts of the world. And how can, what is legal ops? Uh, and maybe what's the difference with legal project management, if any? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. In my personal experience, the, the term legal ops has become a bit buzzwordy, if you will, in that it's kind of meaning different things to different people, but everyone knows it's important, right? So I think what I have experienced with much larger organizations and law firms is people kind of think legal ops means, oh, go out and find me legal tech products and bring them in so we can tell clients that we have legal tech. That's very different than with smaller in-house legal teams that are trying to make their their processes more efficient so that they can free up the time of their head of legal to be part of more strategic business conversations. I think for a lot of in-house teams, legal ops is about how can we not be a blocker as the legal team, but rather a business partner to, to the company. So it's, it's really about triaging decision-making so you can empower more members of the legal team or even the, the team at large to be involved in, in contract negotiations and things like that. 
It's about standardizing those negotiations so that you always are comfortable with what your position is and how much risk exposure you have. So it does mean different things for different size organizations in, in my experience. Yeah, but that's so great. Like it's already more clear to me uh, how it's helpful. And I think to some extent, like I don't remember a previous job I had, and it seems to me I was doing some kind of, you know, uh, streamlining the operations. I remember when I left the position, I was not, my job was not even replaced because I had almost automated everything. And so they were <laughs> able to kind of continue, you know, uh, the work. And I think this, this is, this is what it's all about, right? It's a kind of saving time by looking at the uh, areas of inefficiencies and uh, finding other technology or new processes to kind of make the whole process easier, faster, more predictable, more reliable. And, uh, and technology obviously is a, is a great tool, but, but it's not just the tech, so it's also the processes, right? Yeah. And so when we, we look at tech and processes, uh, so, the expected benefit is it just saving time or are there any other benefits uh, <laughs> that we can we can enjoy from doing this work of streamlining operations and managing projects better that's such a great question because i think for me a really difficult lesson i had to learn joining the legal industry is that unfortunately not every legal professional is interested in saving time. And you can understand why that is. Many of them are incentivized to bill higher hours. It's related to things like bonus targets and whatever else. So often proposing to someone, let's make this change because it will save X amount of hours isn't that appealing. So when I talk about bringing people together under a shared objective, it might be more about being able to, you know, expand your product into more countries or things like that, that is synonymous with creating more time and space to do so, but it's presented a bit, a bit differently. So I think um, it's, it's, a, an important one to save time because everyone is time poor nowadays, but it's about understanding what are the drivers for your stakeholders and then building efficiencies around that. So one that we see for a lot of companies that are scaling is about managing risk. If you are a startup that then has received funding and you're scaling very quickly, you might feel as the CEO or maybe a sole head of legal, like things are really spiraling out of control and you don't have a clear picture of your exposure or even you know, your, your spending on certain contracts and when things renew and stuff that's a bit more operational. So in that sense, legal ops, something like creating um, legal intake or a contract management database, that can give a lot of insights that allow you to to be better managed as, as a company, as a legal department, and thus to make better decisions. So it's not all about time saving. Um, I, I think, you know, the more time you can save people so they can focus on exciting things, creative things, and strategic work, the better. But you really have to know what is the driver for the person that you're helping? What is their problem that you want to solve? Time for a quick break, but we'll be right back. If you enjoy this podcast, visit LegalCreatives.com slash now and be part of the world's greatest legal design innovation platform. Get access and be coached on the most innovative methods, mindsets and techniques, and be part of a community of 10,000 plus legal professionals who come together across the world to transform their legal services and documents, to create the most fulfilling legal practice, and experience the most epic learning journey of their lifetime. 
all part of Legal Creatives membership. A community and a platform that is essential to any legal professional who want to transform their practice, build better brands and win new customers, creating the legal services of the future, today. Go to LegalCreatives.com now to get started. Or if you're already on this journey visit your platform to keep growing. Welcome back to our conversation. Yeah, I like that very much. Uh, the scaling part, managing the risk, and uh, being able to have a, a, a better picture of actually what's happening and where are the risks and, uh, and how to better deal with them and make better decisions. So yeah. if we were to pick, like, let's say, one principle from legal ops or legal project management, whatever, I mean, since they are very complementary and, and maybe almost similar, I think uh, I think that's uh, that's uh, we we can almost put them together, right? So mm. if if we were to pick one principle that you believe uh, would highly benefit a legal professional, uh, with, let's say a legal professional who's working in a smaller organization, maybe a solo GC, and uh, and a, a legal professional uh, who's part of a, a much bigger legal department, so say a legal department. Uh, what would be that principle? Would it be the same principle you would pick for for both? Would it be different? And um, and 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 uh, and and how should they go about implementing uh, this uh, this principle in, in practice? Oh, that, I, that's such a, a tricky question. Um, a single principle. I mean, I think. <laughs> If I may, I'd, I'd split them by in-house legal versus maybe a law firm or, or, or an external provider. I think for in-house teams, a, a key principle, again, should be, I, I've said it a couple times now, but I think it really rings true, is just understanding the why, like what is the problem? What is the bottleneck? That's kind of the principle of why are we doing this project or why are we improving this process? Why are we improving our operations or bringing in legal ops? I think it's it's just about knowing not, a, not the why of I'm a very time poor GC who needs help, but more I want to support the business in getting from A to B. So a, a why that the whole business can unite under for an in-house team. That would be, I think, the biggest principle. Uh, and I think small organizations do that really well. Uh, for law firms and external, um, I think, I mean, this is not a novel idea. It's really common conversation thread at the moment, but I think that looking at fixed fees. I mean, I, my personal belief is that for a lot of categories of legal work, not all things like litigation are, are very different, but for a lot of legal work, I think that the, the hourly rate needs to die. Um, I just, I don't think that it gives clients certainty or comfort. I mean, it says a lot that so so many stereotypes around law and lawyers relate to, you know, you going broke or spending a lot of money or not understanding what you're paying for or feeling like you paid a lot and got nothing. These are common stories I hear. And I think it's an unfair representation of law firms because I've had, you know, brilliant experiences with large global law firms and, you know, they're full of brilliant minds and lawyers who want to see their clients do well and be satisfied. But, you know, the entire model, whether it's for how an individual progresses through the law firm and becomes like an equity partner or how the law firm grows and expands um, as an entity, it's really based about around those billable hours. And I just think we're seeing so many 
uh, more kind of ALSPs and people like that come into the space and offer different pricing models. And my personal experience is that it can be done. It works very well and it leads to client satisfaction. And I think if, if law firms don't do the best they can to get to terms with that, they're going to start losing a lot of work to those more innovative sort of um, legal providers. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The biddable uh, business model is a uh, is a really hot topic. It's not an easy one because, well, it's so ingrained in the in in the way things are being done in the industry. However, from the client perspective, it absolutely makes no sense. Uh, yeah. You know, when we teach legal design, because that's what I do, uh, it's all about the customer perspective, and uh, there is no customer that wants to pay for more hours. They all <laughs> want uh, a problem to be solved in the fastest possible way, and uh, and hopefully doing that, you know, in a way that is uh, nice and speedy. And so the number of hours spent on a case, doing research, or writing a memo is, you know, not something where they see value in. And so it's interesting to see that legal ops can also contribute to the change of the way uh, businesses are run, if we consider law firms as businesses. And so you have mentioned like many things around uh, the why, you know, why do we do this and uh, uniting with the business functions whenever we work in an organization. Um, I'm curious to know some of the projects you've been working on so we can understand a little bit better, you know, how legal ops can help and how you've helped as well in the past. Is there a specific project you you could you could share with us so we could understand a bit more of sure. all of that and demystify how this works? <laughs> Absolutely. I'll talk about um, a, a project type that I've done a number of times, and it's, it's a favorite for me because I am a bit of a data protection enthusiast, if you will, and it really links both the project management and the operational aspects together. And that's um, when you see people doing data protection audits. So something that's very common is companies um, going to law firms or alternative legal service providers and saying, we want to kind of audit how compliant we are with GDPR or perhaps, you know, the, the state by state data protection legislation in the US, whatever. And um, in that sense, I support very heavily from a project management point of view. So a lot of the work in that audit doesn't have to be done by a lawyer initially. It's about gathering information for that lawyer to then assess. So I've been able to save a lot of clients money by doing the, the kind of grunt work up front, presenting that to the lawyer for them to assess and then provide their advice on it. And that's project management because there's so many stakeholders involved in a business that deal with data that you're going to need to speak to to get a clear picture of what's happening in the company and whether or not they are compliant. So there's lots of meetings, lots of questionnaires, lots of data flow mapping. And that's something that I think project managers, but definitely legal ops professionals are probably better suited to do than, than perhaps a lawyer. Um, and it's usually, again, a bit more cost effective. So from that side of things, that's a common project for me where I scope it out with the help of a data protection lawyer, give a fixed fee to the client and say, over this period of time at this fee, we will audit your, your kind of data flows and your 
use of data, if you will, and then we will provide you with an audit report. And then the second part of the work is where the operations come into play because now the client has a report that tells them maybe where they're lacking in terms of compliance, but they need to remediate against that advice. And that becomes a little bit project management, but also operations. How do we change what we're doing to get in line with what's expected of us under these regulations? And so to give you a concrete example, one that I'm particularly proud of because the client was so delighted, um, an Article 30 register is, is something under the GDPR that just says, in short, you know, a business needs to kind of have a bit of a register that says what data you're collecting from whom, for what legal basis are you collecting it, processing it, who do you share it with, if anyone, so on and so forth. Um, the ICO in the UK, the Information Commissioner's Office, they provide brilliant templates for things like this. So it should be something that, you know, a business can look at and fill in. But if you're a smaller company or you're, you're very time poor, it's a big job to, to fill it in for the first time, but also to maintain it. So with a lot of legal ops work, I think about, am I creating something for the client that they are going to have to maintain over time? And if so, how can I support them in that with technology and automation? And so for this particular client, we looked at what tools they were using internally. They relied very heavily on Google, so they were comfortable with Google Forms, Google Sheets. And we ended up building into their process that whenever they took on a new vendor, part of the procurement process would be for a team member to fill in a very short Google Form, but the questions fed into that Article 30 register. So instead of the head of legal having to look at every contract and say, this is the data we're getting, this is where it goes, and then go fill in a document, the person responsible for bringing in that vendor answered a few questions and through an automation that form fed into an article 30 register that we built in Google Sheets. And it meant that whenever they signed up a new vendor, they had comfort in knowing that that register was up to date. And that's really good, you know, if you ever get audited by the ICO to show that, you know, you're, you're on top of it. Yeah, this is such a perfect example of... Uh being able to save time, but most importantly, uh, you know, manage the risk better and uh, maximizing your compliance and uh, also having the business function help the legal department or the GC, uh, you know, with that task. Uh, and I think what you have done is so smart in the sense that I think we tend to, we, we tend to just, uh, you know, take for granted that lawyers have to be in charge of, of, doing the whole work when in fact if you push the responsibility i mean not everything but some task at least within that responsibility then it makes it a lot easier for everybody to be involved and data protection i think is such a great example because everyone collects data and uh and not just the legal department right so it's great to have them involved but in a way that is not overwhelming with tools that they already familiar to use so it's easier for them to implement and to and to keep doing, you know, and to keep doing it, even if uh, uh, you're not necessarily involved uh, as much uh, in the maintenance uh, sort of thing. So that is awesome. And are there any tools that you usually use when you work on those exciting projects for clients? I mean, in that specific instance, it was Google Form because that was the tool the client used. But I'm curious to know when you work with clients, are there any tools or maybe techniques? Uh, things that uh, that you know, things that you do that uh, that makes the work easier. 
Sure. I mean, and I suppose to be honest, I always look at it first from the principle of what is the client using? What is the business using? I think I've personally had a, a lot of experiences of seeing businesses try to shoehorn in technology solutions because they think they should have them. Oh, well, this is a very fancy new contract tool. Everyone's talking about it. So we'll buy it as well. And then they don't use it or they bring it in and spend money, but it's actually not solving a problem they have. So I always try to first and foremost do, do a bit of an assessment of what tools is the client using, is the business using, and can we work within those parameters? Because I think if you bring in new tools on top of changing the way people work operationally, you're just adding a little bit of friction to the adoption of that new process. So I like to stay with tools that the team is already familiar with, if it's possible. A lot of times it's not, and you do need to go out and kind of scope out different tools to solve the problem. But that's where I start. From a personal point of view, um, this will be no surprise to anyone I have worked with or am working with. I'm a little bit obsessed with Notion, which is, um, I'm not sure if you're familiar. It looks like you are. Yeah, um, I love Notion. It's so great. Yeah. And they've recently brought out their own little um, in-app AI that's really clever and fun to play with. So I really love that if I'm sharing information. So if I put together a proposal or I've recently helped a client create um, a repository of, of InfoSec information. And so that kind of stuff putting it on something like Notion where people can comment, but also I can see who's viewed it and changes that have been made. I think that's, you know, a nice point of collaboration. And you can do that in a lot of other tools. Obviously you can do the same thing in a Google doc, but you can link databases in Notion. And I find that really helpful when you're doing um, project management for task assignment and things like that, setting reminders, assigning things to individuals, and just being able to have everything from, you know, dates through to links kind of in one space that you can collate and show in different views. So I love Notion, but I certainly wouldn't, you know, go push it on a team that's never seen it and not interested. But um, for, for me, it's, it's a very, very comfortable tool. Yeah, so you're using it to manage projects whenever you work with clients. Have you also used it with clients uh, to actually do some of the legal project management or the legal ops or repositories for documents? Absolutely, yes. Have definitely used it. I would say probably most for like task management, project management, things like that. In terms of document management, I haven't used it uh, very much for that. The occasional link, but not so much as as a repository, except for that recent InfoSec case. Um, but it, it has a lot of use cases, and I just find it really user friendly, which is why it's a good one to start with. I think. In the legal space, we see a, a real range of tech competency. And so I think if you go for either what people are familiar with, whether that be Microsoft tools or Google tools or something new, or just if you have to go for something new, make sure it's really user-friendly. And you can do little, little tests like that as well. Um, for, for data mapping, there are so many amazing tools out there now, but 
I, I tend to favor really simple things. I like Miro, which is, you know, online whiteboarding, uh, because in my experience, I've seen people pick it up really quickly, have no difficulty in figuring out how to add a comment to what I've done. So that's key. You want to make sure that if you're asking someone to, you know, review or can contribute uh, and collaborate on what you've done, they're not having to spend a bunch of time figuring out how to use the tool. Yeah, I'm a Miro fan as well. So really love the tool. It's so great. It's so amazing. And I remember a few years back, those tools were not available or not so accessible. So I think we have a great opportunity today to leverage those tools and that are so easy to use and make collaboration and project management so, so much better. Absolutely. And uh, Hannah, I'm also curious, before we finish, is there anything surprising you have learned throughout the years working in the field of legal project management and legal ops? <laughs> um, I have learned so much. And I think that personally, that's why I love this space is I'm learning every day as someone who didn't qualify as a lawyer. Each project is an opportunity for me to learn a bit more about the law, about different jurisdictions and, you know, emerging regulations. I find it fascinating. But in terms of the industry at large, I guess um, <laughs> I, I was very surprised to learn that for some legal professionals, no, or we can't, or it's not allowed is often the end of the conversation. And I think that the newer, you know, legal service providers or the firms that are really making a push to kind of be a bit more agile are understanding that if, if you just kind of give clients a computer says no sort of answer, you're not really being helpful. <laughs> and so I think for me, that was quite shocking to learn that there is a category of legal professional who knows the law inside out, but sometimes they'll just say, oh, you want to do this, but you can't because the law says no. Instead of going, you want to do this, we can't do it that way because of the law. But if we change these parameters or we tried something else, or if we looked at a different solution. So I think for me, that's been a real indicator of the kind of people I want to work with and work for is the ones who say no, but, and then offer other solutions. And to be fair, like the majority of lawyers do this and are, are a bit more creative, but there, there are many, I feel that kind of just like to end it with no and, and are big on the, you know, red tape. Um, so that was surprising to me initially, but it was a good lesson to learn because it's helped me kind of navigate who are the right people to, to work with, I suppose. Oh, that's great. And talking about the people you work with, because you're based in London, although you're an American citizen, you were in Australia doing some work there. So I would imagine you you work with organizations uh, globally, or do you do you have more of a niche audience? Uh... Yeah, at the moment, it's because I only started my consultancy within the last year, it has been pretty niche and very referral based, if I'm honest. So it's it started with former clients and former employers, and then it kind of branches out to people they know who need similar assistance. Um, and at the moment, they are pretty heavily UK and European based. I do have uh, one former colleague, actually, who's now based in Australia that I'm looking at doing some work for, we're scoping out some things together. So 
I hope to expand a bit more into Australia and, and definitely into the US because I'm so enthusiastic about data protection and the US is only just starting to get with the times in terms of that legislation. I think there will be a lot of opportunity in the US to, to support businesses with kind of bringing their, their operations up to a, a level of compliance with data protection and privacy. So I, I hope to expand here a bit more. That's awesome. That's so great. You, you've taken the time today to share uh with us and uh i i think it's it's even your vacation time right now so <laughs> even more grateful for to, for you to have us on the podcast and record this interview and uh, i'm sure there are many uh people who are listening and who would like to know uh how to reach out to you so i'd love to for you to tell us what is the best way for folks to reach out and also what is your next step and uh, how can we help Absolutely. So in terms of reaching out, you know, I'm as a, someone who's kind of working as a consultant now, I'm on LinkedIn all the time. LinkedIn is really easy. Drop me a message or a connection. Um, email is fine as well. I do have a website. It's hgoperations.com and people can submit a contact form through there, but it's, it's whatever's clever for people. I've got things to kind of all funnel through one inbox anyways, so I'll, I'll get to it. <laughs> I'll see it no matter how they get in touch. So whatever works for them. Uh, and in terms of next steps, so as I think we mentioned earlier on the call, I do currently have my CIPPE certification, which is um, a certified information privacy professional in Europe. And I am now looking to upskill a bit more in that regard and do a CIPM, which is a certified information privacy management professional. And that's someone who focuses a bit more on the internal uh, programs, training processes around privacy management. So we'll get a bit more into you know, InfoSec and things like that. So that's a course that I will be, um, I'm starting my training shortly and hope to qualify in uh, in the next couple of months. So that's what's next for me. And I hope it just it just pairs nicely with my, my love of data protection and ops. That's so great. That's so awesome. Well, thank you so much, uh, Hannah, for uh, tuning in today, sharing uh, great insights, uh, the intersection of legal project management, legal ops, and uh, also your, you know, the work that you do and some of the tangible uh, projects and practical projects. I really, I really enjoyed this interview. What I really liked the most was that the fact that you've been able to kind of infuse in your practice different philosophies, methodologies and principles and tools that are easy to use for the user. And this is what all legal design is all about as well, making the job easier for the user, for the client, and uh, and, uh, and 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 adapting to their needs, and um, and making sure we can uh, we can answer the why question, which I like so much. Obviously, um, you know, being a fan of Simon Sinek, the start with why. I think you know Absolutely. it's such a, such a great question. Why are we doing this in the first place? And <laughs> I remember in my previous job, the one where I mentioned I, I ended up automating so many things I was not replaced. I was saying, I was asking that why question so many times. Why are we doing that? Why are, are, are we managing this database in such a way? Do we really need to do all of that? What do we really need? And I remember this is how I, 
uh, I've really enjoyed that process and I didn't know it was some kind of operations. Uh, so I think many, many folks may even sense they're doing it without even realizing it. But when you're aware of it and you have a methodology and tools and techniques, I think it makes it a lot easier. And so that's so great you're doing this job. So thank you so much, Hannah. Anything else you'd like to share before we go? Yeah, I, I mean, I guess just to add to your last point, I would say for, for me personally, I think when I first started in this industry, I was really worried that not being a qualified solicitor uh, was going to be a disadvantage. But what I have found is that it has led me more and more to have to ask why we're doing something because I do come from a different, you know, educational background. So it's actually turned out to be a huge benefit to me because a lot of the recipients of, of legal advice, the, the benefit um, of these end processes, they're not always lawyers. And so being someone who manages the process or the project, you know, that has kind of the lens to say, does this make sense to a non-legal trained person is, is really helpful. And it's, it's enabled me to, to feel comfortable asking why at every step and, and just to get to learn. So yeah, totally agree with you. It's all, it's all about knowing why we're doing what we're doing. That's great. So Let's not be uh, fearful to ask why. Why are we doing this in the first place? And, uh, and then continue the process with those beautiful methodologies. Well, thank you so much, Hannah. It's been a joy. And uh, looking forward to uh, see what, uh, what you're going to be doing with your new certification and to seeing you expand with this uh, legal ops and uh, legal project management consultancy. Thank you so much for tuning in on the podcast today. Thank you, Tess. I really appreciate it. And um, I really admire the work legal creatives are doing. So keep it up. <laughs> Thanks so much. If you like the Legal Creatives podcast, take the next step. Become a Legal Creatives member. Imagine being coached on the most innovative methods, mindsets and techniques that successfully and effectively transform legal services into experiences client love, recommend, and use again, and again. When you access the platform, you don't just access courses, but create a career where you feel more fulfilled, more productive, and become more profitable. You also become part of a community of legal professionals who are the most supportive, incredibly dedicated individuals to transforming legal services. Get access today to a community and a platform that is essential to any legal professional who want to transform their practice, build better brands and win new customers, creating the legal services of the future today. Go to legalcreatives.com now to get started, or if you're already in this journey, visit your platform to keep growing.